The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. A young man was applying for a job, so he took his resume to the HR, the Human Resource Department at a local business, and he handed in his resume. And the HR director took his resume, the document, and she studied it, and she noticed something fascinating. She says to this young man, young man, I've studied this, your work history, very carefully, and I've noticed something. You've been fired from every job that you've ever had. What does this tell us about you? And the young man says, it tells you I'm not a quitter. (laughs) Well, this month, we've been interacting with the Christmas story the same way that HR director was interacting with that young man's resume. We've been studying the Christmas story to see what we can learn about our God. It's a series we've entitled, A Magnificent Christmas. And yes, the misspelling of magnificent was intentional. We are magnifying different aspects of this magnificent Christmas to see what we can learn about our God. In week one, we magnified the truth behind the star that the the wise men were following. And we learned that Sunday, the big idea was this, God will reveal the truth, but you have to receive the truth. Week two, we magnified the story behind the stable. And that week's big idea was simple. Jesus came to earth so we could come to him. And last week, we magnified the truth surrounding the parents, Joseph and Mary, in the Christmas story. And last week's big idea was this. When you submit to God's ways, he'll be with you always. Well, this morning, we're concluding our investigation by putting the magnifying glass upon the manger. We're going to ask and answer two simple questions. What exactly is a manger, and what does the manger reveal to us about our God? Now, to refresh our memories of where exactly the manger fits into the Christmas story, let's read from the account as recorded by Dr. Luke in the second chapter of his gospel. We're reading from Luke chapter 2. It should be on your outlines, and if you don't even have a Bible, feel free to take a copy of the Bible that's on the back of the view in front of you. That's our gift to you. Take it home with you. That's now your Bible. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1, he wrote this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, which was the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. So he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Now it's this last sentence we're going to focus on. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, you ask most people what a manger is, and they'll give you a general answer. They'll know that it's somehow associated with Jesus' birth. Now, some will go as far as to tell you, they'll say, oh, manger, that's the place where Jesus was born. But is that true? Is the manger the place where Jesus was born? For years, that's what I thought. 
For years, I assumed that manger was simply another word for barn or for stable. But it's not. A manger is not a barn. A manger is not a stable. No, most barns or stables had mangers in them, but they're two different things. So what exactly is a manger? Well, you ask any first-year French student, and they should know the answer. The English word manger is taken from the French word manger, which means to eat. Manger is simply the word for a feeding trough. We have an example of a manger up here. It's simply a word for a simple feeding trough, like this. They'd either be made of stone or wood, like something like this. A simple manger, rough-hewn wood. Manger is, word, is the word for nothing more than something that held food for animals. As your outline says, in plain English, a manger is a cow's cup or a donkey's dish. You like that? I thought that was pretty creative. It's a cow's cup or a donkey's dish. It's the lowest form of, of dinnerware imaginable. A manger makes a styrofoam plate look royal by comparison. In fact, a manger is as earthly and ordinary as you can possibly get when it comes to feeding. That's what a manger is, though. It's a rough wooden box or a crudely chiseled out chunk of stone that could hold perhaps liquid. But that's what a manger is. A manger is an animal's feeding trough. And it was into that feeding trough that the newborn Jesus was placed. So, is a manger the place where Jesus was born? No, it's not. It's the place where Jesus was laid after he was born. She wrapped him in cloths, and then she placed him in this manger. So, what does that fact reveal to us about our God? I don't know about you, but I am a people watcher. If I'm out with my wife at a mall, I'm happy to let Jan wander around the mall while I sit on a bench just watching people walk by. I love it. I'm fascinated by the fashion and dazzled by the differences in the people walking around me. I could watch people all day. It can be very entertaining. I just sit there and I think to myself, what is that guy? What was he thinking when he got dressed this morning? Or, oh boy, look at that too. I would never put those two together. You know, I just love to watch people walk by. Watching people can be a lot of fun most of the time. But sometimes, however, watching people can turn toxic. Have you ever sat in a room full of people and found yourself comparing yourself to those around you? Maybe you've already found yourself doing it this morning. Maybe you're doing it right now. Have you ever sat in front of a television set watching exotic lives in exotic locations or scrolled through an Instagram filled with beautiful people in beautiful places and you felt that your life, by comparison, was quite, well, ordinary? Have you ever caught yourself measuring your life against the lives of others and found yourself slumping with discouragement at your own ordinariness? Do you recognize this woman up on the side screens? This is Martha Stewart. 
Martha is an American business magnate, a television host, an author, a magazine publisher, a home decorating expert. She was once voted the third most powerful woman in America. And then she went to prison, but that's a whole other story. Martha is known for portraying the image of the perfect hostess in the perfect home. I recently came across a Christmas letter that Martha Stewart sent out to her friends. Let me read some of it for you. I'll do my best Martha voice. Dear friends, this perfectly delightful Christmas note is being sent on paper I made myself to tell you what I've been up to. Since it snowed last night, I got up early and I made a sled with old barn wood and a glue gun. I hand-painted it in gold leaf, got out my loom, and I made a blanket in peach and mauve. And then, to pull the sled, I made a white horse from the DNA I had sitting around in my craft room. It's all very believable. <laughs> By then, it was time to start making the placemats and napkins for my 20 breakfast guests. Oh, I'm serving my usual 12-course breakfast, but can I let you in on a little secret? I didn't have time to make the tables and chairs this morning. So I used the ones that I made for my banquet last night. Before I moved the table into the dining room, I decided to add a bit of a touch for the holidays. So I repainted the room in pinks and stenciled gold stars on the ceilings this morning. And then, while the homemade bread was rising in the oven, I took antique candle molds and I turned them into the dishes that I planned to use for today's breakfast. They were made from Hungarian clay, which you can get in almost any neighborhood Hungarian craft store. Well, I must run. I need to get out the sled and drive this note to the post office as soon as the glue dries on the envelopes I will be making. Your friend, Martha. Seriously, how do you keep up with someone like that? Can you imagine having her as your neighbor or your best friend? Do you know how it feels to compare yourself with the people around you and your life screams, I am ordinary? So what do you do when you're not superwoman? What do you do when you're not superman? What do you do when you're confronted with feelings of insignificance? Where do you turn? I'm recommending in such moments you turn to the manger. The manger? Yeah, the manger. You say, why the manger? Because in the manger, God reveals to us a powerful clue about how he operates. Think about it for a moment. Why are we even talking about a manger? Why are we talking about a feeding trough for animals on a day like today? What does it matter about a manger? What does it matter about a, a, a feeding trough for animals? It's an ordinary feeding dish cut from stone or wood. It's nothing more. It's not painted. It's not polished. It's exposed to the elements. It's weathered. It's worn. It's overlooked. It's underappreciated. It's just a manger. And for the most part, it's ignored and it's forgotten. Yet here we are focusing upon this ordinary piece of animal furniture. Why? Because in that ordinary piece of animal furniture was placed Jesus, God who took on flesh. Because into that piece of ordinary animal furniture 
was placed Jesus, the one who created the universe. And at that moment, when Jesus was placed in that manger, the manger became a cradle for the hope of all mankind. In fact, think of it. Our calendars are centered around that moment in time when that baby was placed in that manger. It's from that moment that we say this is year one, year two, year 2018, about to be 2019, all revolving around the moment that baby was placed in that manger. So what does the manger reveal to us about our God? Well, that's today's big idea. The presence of God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. It's the presence of God that turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. The manger is a symbol of what happens to an ordinary life when Jesus Christ resides within it by his spirit. The manger is a symbol of what happens to a person when Jesus Christ is welcomed into their life. Maybe as you're sitting here today, you feel a bit like the manger. You're not painted, you're not polished, you feel weathered, you feel a little worn, you feel overlooked and underappreciated. You're just, like the rest of us, ordinary. Well, I have good news from the manger today. The presence of God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Do you see this woman on the side screens? You don't know her but I know her very well. This woman changed my life. In fact, I'm here today because of this woman. Her name is Jean, Jean Barkley. She's deceased now. Jean Barkley was my Sunday school teacher when I was a little boy. I still have her picture in my office to this day. She was actually from Australia. She was an Australian and she came to Canada and as she never married, never had children or grandchildren, she was just a sweet elderly lady who came to Canada because she felt God called her. And she taught Sunday school in a tiny Baptist church that I attended as a little boy, a church of maybe 55 people. And we had this little Sunday school class of three kids maybe, and she was our teacher. And it was Jean's words that God brought to my mind as a 19-year-old man when I was at a crisis moment in my life. Jean had said to this little class, I remember her saying this, I could tell you, I could take you to the very spot I was sitting when she said this. She said, Darren, if you're ever in a crisis and you need God to speak to you, just take your Bible, open it, start reading, and he'll talk to you. Now, I wouldn't give that advice to anybody today. But she gave that to me that advice to me as a little boy. And I never forgot it. As a kid, I thought, oh, that, that, that's cool. That's fascinating. I tucked it away subconsciously. And as a 19-year-old young man, not a follower of Jesus, at a crisis moment in my life that I won't get into, I remembered her words. And I went and found a Bible. And I opened it. I said, God, if you exist, I'm asking you to speak to me. Jean said you would. And I opened the Bible to Jeremiah chapter one. It was the call of the prophet Jeremiah where God said, Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah said, Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm just a young person. And God said, don't say that. Today I'm appointing you. And I closed the Bible and I felt God's spirit say to me, Darren, I'm calling you. I gave my life to Christ and I went out to my mom and dad who were sitting out. My dad smoking his cigarette watching TV. And, my, and I said, Mom, Dad, I think God wants me to, to be a pastor. 
And my, night, my life never turned after that. But here's what's even more bizarre. Gene had gone back to Australia all through my teenage years. I had left that church. I didn't go to church anymore. I w- went back to that little Baptist church of 50 people, now even less. And I went to the pastor and told him what happened. And, and uh, he was, said, great. You know, they were looking for young people. And he had me preach with him on a Sunday. And so here I am as a 19-year-old young man in this little tiny Baptist church preaching my very first sermon ever with him. And who's out in the crowd but Jean Barkley? God had called her back to Canada, she told me. She walked up to me afterwards and said, Darren, do you remember me? Yes, you're Jean. And she said, God spoke to me and told me I'm supposed to teach you the Bible. I said, okay, if I'm going to be a pastor, I guess I have to know the Bible. So she met with me every Wednesday in the Stratford Public Library for an hour or two, and she made me memorize scripture, and she made me read books. There were times I hated Jean. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. And she knew it, and she would say, no, Darren, no, Darren. And she would make me memorize things. It was Jean Barkley who took me to my first Pentecostal church. Broadway is a Pentecostal church. And she took me to a Pentecostal church in Stratford. And she's the one who gave me a book about this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the supernatural experience of God filling you with the Spirit. It was Jean who was with me when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. She changed my life. She's just an ordinary woman. And what she did for me, she did for my younger brother who ended up going to Bible college and becoming a lawyer, still serves Christ to this day. She did for another one who's in that Sunday school class with me. His name was Doug. Doug went on to be a global worker with his wife and children and now serves overseas to this day as a missionary. Jean was just an ordinary woman who placed her life in Jesus' hands and he used her and led her to accomplish extraordinary results because that's what God does. See this couple? This is Ken and Val McElhose. Ken and Val were both born and raised in Vancouver. They met at a Valentine's Day party right here at Broadway Church, and they were married in 1972. Ken's a businessman, still is, in our city. They'd been attending Broadway Church for decades. Ken was on our board, was on the building committee that built this building. On their commute in from uh, the suburbs every Sunday, they passed by a homeless man who was looking for handouts on the corner of Boundary and Grandview. It's where I drive by every day. For several weeks, they gave him money and they tried to get to know him. His name was Rob. One rainy Sunday morning, they took Rob out for breakfast, actually, and they began a friendship with him. That was their first exposure to life on the streets of Vancouver. They actually later helped Rob to fly home to his family in Toronto just in time for Christmas. All this time, Ken and Val were experiencing a sense of dissatisfaction in their walk with God, and they were praying for God to guide them. Although they were very involved here in the church, they weren't dealing with people outside of the church in any real significant way. As they were driving to church on Sunday, December 30th, 2001, Little did they know they were about to step into a new destiny. Ken and Val were part of the prayer team that prays for people in our services at the front every Sunday. And when they were praying with someone, with people on that particular Sunday, they met a man who had just arrived in Vancouver from Ontario. He had no job. He had no friends. He had no place to live. He was staying at a local shelter. 
After they prayed with him at the front of the church, they felt impressed by God to take him out for lunch and to encourage him. Well, the next Sunday, that gentleman returned to Broadway Church and he brought with him a friend from the shelter. Canon Val took him and his friend out for lunch again. They began to do this every week take this gentleman and his friend out after the service to a restaurant and they would discuss the sermon that they just heard. And the group eventually grew to 10 men so they started using the Broadway boardroom. They ordered in Swiss Chalet. They recruited another couple to help them. And that group has now grown into the ministry known as Club Freedom that Pastor Simon mentioned earlier. Right now, Club Freedom is operating in our warehouse facility, our lower campus. Right now, there's 130 to 150 men, women, sometimes even children. Right now, they're there. We're feeding them a hot meal. There's a, they're having their own service with their own sermon. We have a full-time chaplain to the street that we hire through our City Reach Care Society who interacts with these people throughout the week to help them to take the next step in their journey. And all of that began because Ken and Val Two ordinary people said, God, lead us, guide us. And Ken and Val are down there right now. I just met him in the lobby on my way up here. He's standing there with his chef's coat on, about to cook a meal again for these folks down there. Every Sunday, lives are changed. Gene Barkley, Ken and Val McElhose, these are ordinary people, ordinary people who welcome the presence of God into their lives. And when a person does that, the presence of God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. It's the lesson from the manger. It's what our God does. It's what the good news of Jesus Christ is all about. God takes everyday people and as they welcome him into their lives, he turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. So what about your life? Will you allow God to do for you what he did for the manger? Will you allow him to transform you by his presence? Will you allow him to do for your life what he's done for millions of others? If you're willing, he is able and he'll begin that process of transformation right now. Let's bow our heads together, please.